Well, as we, um, as we move into our, our time of looking into Scripture and looking into God's Word, um, we're going to be talking today a little bit about Scripture. We're, we're in this series, Passing the Baton, and so last week we really talked about um, the importance of passing that baton. Well, this week I want to talk about that baton itself. I want to talk about what it is that we're carrying, this race we're running. What is it that we're carrying? What's the power that guides us? And so one of the things we're going to talk about today is the power of God's Word, the power of Scripture. And so um, we have a, um, a Greg Stoughton, who was a part of our church for 16 years, um, he, he came here and a while back, I guess it was, how long ago was it? How many years ago? Put you on the spot. Left in 2006, and when he came, his, his first time here, he met his future wife, Linda DeYoung, and then he attended here for 16 years and served here and led a young couples class, a young married class. And, um, and then they went out and did some ministry serving as missionaries. And now he's working for, for crew um, and really working on developing prayer and leadership within the organization of crew to help empower churches and, and Christians around the world to follow Christ. And so I asked him if he would come just share a story about the power of Scripture in his life. So Greg, come on up and, and share with us what God's done in your life through Scripture. Thank you, Alex. And always good to be with you. If we're meeting for the first time, you'll notice a few physical differences. But I take that straight to Psalm 139. This is genetic from birth. And remember, for he created my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise him, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And the same is true for each of you. The story I'm going to share, however, today actually takes me back to 1990, June of 1990. I know, that's a long time ago for some of you. June of 1990, I'd only been in this church three or four months. I had just made the move from Oregon to Cincinnati, and I was actually uh, joining at that point the Ministry of Athletes in Action, which is the sports ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, formerly, or CREW. I've now been with that ministry, Linda and I, for 27 years. June of 1990, three months here in this church, three months here in Cincinnati, I was invited by Athletes in Action, though not a college athlete, to go to Colorado for what would be a week of biblical training, time spent in God's Word to then seek to draw some principles that athletes could apply within the realm of sport. It was an incredible experience as I sat in a classroom in Fort Collins and began to drink deeply from God's Word through the week. We would actually go out to the volleyball courts and we would apply some of the truths of God's Word in uh, various pseudo-competitive environments. I uh, had a great time and then we got to Friday to the end of the week and the organizer said, be prepared because tomorrow you're going to wake up early, 6 a.m., be ready to go, be ready for a long day. I had no idea what to expect. 6 a.m. arrived. Uh, we ate some breakfast, three or four of us. Uh, we got stuffed into cars, three or four of us here, three or four of us there, and we began to drive up into the Rocky Mountains. An hour later, someone kind of elbowed me and said, we're here, and I said, we're where? And then I knew I was in trouble when I looked, and I saw the real lanky, skinny guy that ran in front of the car 
with a number on the back of the jersey and some real tight running shorts, and I thought, this probably isn't a good thing. And they said, sure enough, they said, you're going to do an eight-mile mountain run followed by a 19-mile bike ride. And my first thought wasn't, oh, joy. <laughs> we stepped out of the car, and sure enough, a little bit later, we began the climb, began the race. Mile one was easy. You go out fast, confident, 29 years of age, I got this. Mile two began to be a little more difficult. Mile three, I started asking the question, Lord, have you sucked all the oxygen out of the universe? <laughs> Mile four began to weave our way up the final few hundred yards of the hill, the mountain, and I was glad at that point that God had created offensive linemen. They're big, and I could pass them. They were crawling. I could walk. Made it to the top. By the time we got to the top on a beautiful Colorado day, amber waves of grain, glorious, I was feeling none of it. My insides were hurting. My body ached. I just thought I'd like to quit if I could, but I wasn't sure we could get the supplies up to build a home atop the peak. At that point, I knew I needed something more, and I was exceedingly grateful that the night before as a group, we had had a little exercise, a little spiritual exercise, and we had actually taken two popsicle sticks, and we had broken them in the form of a cross. And on that cross, we were challenged to put some portion or some memory of God's word that we could draw upon in a time of need. For me, I had written H-E-B period 12 colon 1-3, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And at the moment of the exhaustion, at the moment of the ache, I reached down into the waistband of my shorts and I pulled that cross out and I thought, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, such that we will not grow weary and lose heart." In the midst of that, beginning to look at the cross and thinking about what Jesus had endured for me, my pain began to subside and fade. And I began to run down the mountain as I'd never run before, just feeling this sense of God's Spirit at work flowing through me. I remember crossing the finish line at the end of the eight miles, and I don't know still today if it was legitimate care and selflessness for those who hadn't yet finished the race or if it was a moment of runner's high that I shot right back up the mountain about a half mile because I needed to clap and I needed to encourage those to finish the race who hadn't yet crossed the line. I picked a pack of offensive linemen to finish the race with. Then at that point, an hour later, I hopped on a bicycle and I started the 19-mile journey and that cross sat there on the handlebars, gripping it right there, looking at it for all 19 miles to be able to complete the race. It was, a, it was a great experience. It was a God-given experience, a God-given moment. But more than the experience, it was the attachment to that portion of Scripture that has sustained me now for, I can't do the math, 28 years, 29 years, that many seasons I've gone back to that. And I realize in the midst of whether it's a, a marital bump or whether it's 
uh, a difficulty parenting one of our children, or whether it's a financial struggle, challenge, a by-faith need, whether it's a career uh, hurdle that I need to get through, I go back to that scripture time and again that there are the cloud of witnesses who continue to cheer for me. Is there sin that's entangling my life in some way so I'm not experiencing God's power? I begin to understand that Jesus gets it and that what I'm enduring doesn't compare to his suffering. And I remember as well that I shouldn't grow weary in the midst of whatever I'm facing. God's word becomes that strength in my life to help me to persevere. So as we, transfer, or as we uh, transition now to Alex and the message for today, tune your hearts, tune your ears, listen, see what God would have for you today as Alex brings the message on the power of the gospel. Thank you, Greg. How many of you have ever had a moment like that, that, that you, had, you were going through something and then a scripture that you had read or, or a scripture came to you that, that guided you through that? Anybody? I've had several of those moments. I won't take the time to, to share them because they'll cut my mic off. But, um, but, but, the, but that's what we're talking about today is the, the power of the gospel. And, and so we, we've talked about um, we've talked about the, the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this passing the baton, we've talked about this being Pentecost Sunday, and, and this Sunday that marks the day that really the church started. And so, so I want to set this, I know I did a little bit of this last week, but I want to set this up for you to understand that, that there are those that, when, when we talk about Pentecost, when we talk about the beginning of the church, the Spirit being poured out on the church... That's where this race, this relay race began, and, and from that time on, the baton has been passed from generation to generation to generation, and here we are. And, and so we understand that we are a part of this race, and last week we, we, we talked about the fact that one of the most important things that we can do is to pass the baton on to those who will carry on after us, but, but we have this portion of the race that we're running. You and I are called to be a part of God's kingdom, of what God's doing in the world around us. And so, so I want you to understand that, that we're running this race right now. If you're with us, if you're in the building, if you're breathing, then you're a part of this race. And you should have that baton in your hand. So, so today, at the end of last week, we, we read the scripture that said, guard the deposit, the good deposit that's been made in you. And today, I want to talk about what that deposit is, and I want to talk about how we guard it and how we carry that baton. And so as, as we think about Pentecost, I just want to start by, 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 Greg did a great job of sharing this, that the Spirit is at work. When we talk about running our portion of the race, when we talk about carrying the baton, when we talk about following the path that God has for us, the good news is this, we are not alone. Sometimes when you're running nine miles, you feel really lonely. You feel like you're not going to make it. If they told me to run nine miles, I would have said, if they would have said you're running a nine mile race, I would have said I'm running a half mile and then walking an eight and a half mile race because I'm not running nine miles. I'm impressed that you could do that just spur of the moment. But but we're not alone. And, and what Greg talked about was the way that that scripture worked in his life. But guess what? That's not just words on a paper. That scripture that worked in his life was the product of the Holy Spirit leading him and speaking to him and guiding him. And, and 
we have the Spirit with us. And so first and foremost, as we run our leg of the race, we do not run alone. We have the Spirit of the Almighty God that's at work in us. The same Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost is poured out on us today, is available to help us run our race. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 3 today. Last week, we looked at chapter 1, and we talked about fanning the flame of the gift that, that's been given to us, fanning the flame of the calling that's been placed on our lives. Today, we're going to look at chapter 3, and Pastor Jay read a, a little bit of chapter 3 a couple weeks ago, but what I want to do is catch you up to this point in the book of 2 Timothy. So it starts out by, we talked about this last week, about the, the heritage of Timothy. You, your grandmother and your mother, and you've seen me. You have this heritage of faith. And, and Paul says, I thank God for the heritage that you have and for the opportunity that I have to work with you. And then it gets into the text that we looked at last week that says, fan the flame. Fan the flame. Let the Spirit grow in you this passion, this desire, this, this fire to serve. And, and it, he says, when, when you fan that flame, it, it will give you courage to face what you need to face, to do what you need to do. And then he says, guard the baton that's been passed to you. See, in a relay race, when, when one person runs and there's this exchange of the baton... What happens if the baton doesn't get passed? The race is over. What happens if you have a bad exchange, if you drop the baton? You're disqualified. And so this says, guard the deposit that I, I, you've, you've had the, this group run before you and pass the baton. Now guard that baton. And so Paul says, guard that baton that's been passed to you, Timothy. And then he goes in to, to kind of a section that talks about the difficulties that Timothy might face. He talks about examples of disloyalty, people that have dropped the baton, people that have gone with a different gospel, people that have, have blown it. He talks about dealing with false teachers. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, he talks just about the difficulty that's going to be ahead of Timothy. See, Paul's in prison, and he knows that carrying the baton of the gospel is not an easy task. So just first and foremost today, I want us to understand that being who God called us to be is not an easy task. I'm afraid we've gotten into the, the habit in the church these days of thinking that Christianity is, is just some nice thing that we add to our resume. And it's comfortable and it's nice and we like it. We like the singing. We like, we like what they say. We like feeling good about ourselves. So we'll take that baton. But Paul knows that walk, running the race that God has for us is no easy task. That being holy in an unholy world is no easy task. And so he's saying to Timothy, I want to warn you that, that it's going to be difficult. There are going to be evil people that try to work against you. There are going to be people who try to teach false doctrines. There are going to be things working against you running the race that you have to run. Which brings us to the scripture today, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. He says, but you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. 
the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what we see here is that Paul is passing the baton to Timothy, and he's just talked about in chapter 3, you're going to experience some difficulty. There's going to be false teachers. There's evil in the world. It's a, it's a broken place. But he says here in verse 10, you, you know me. You know my journey. See, the, one of the greatest gifts that Timothy had was the example that Paul had set for him. One of the greatest gifts that he had was the example that his grandmother and his mother had set for him. And so Paul says, it's going to be tough, but you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. This is, this is Paul saying, I'm coming back to help you finish your race, to help you continue in your race. Not leaving you on your own, you have this example. In response to the, the evil of the time of that day, in response to false teachers, in response to the difficulty that Timothy would face, what does Paul do? He calls him back to the example that's been set for him. He says, look at my life. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've been through. I have modeled for you the way to run the race. So when you hit hard times, just look at me. I've had plenty of them. Paul had plenty of difficulties. He even says the difficult stuff. He says, you've seen me persecuted. You've seen me put in jail. You've seen the difficulty, but God has been faithful. Man, it's so much easier to run a race when you know that somebody else has done it. It's so much easier to face difficulty when you know that somebody else has done it. I was thinking about this. Um, one, of the, one of the scary places in our house for our kids is our basement. And if I say, hey, hey uh, Charlie, go down to the basement and get me my iPad charger that I left down there. I need you to run down and find it. First of all, he's never going to find it because kids can't find anything. But but really what's going to happen is he's going to say, Daddy, you need to go with me. Daddy, you need to go with me. And occasionally we'll play games where we play hide and seek. And I remember like when we would play hide and seek, I would hide. Sometimes I would go down and at the bottom of our stairs there's a little storage room and I would hide in that storage room and I would just turn the light out and I would wait for them to come in because I wanted to scare them. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to really scare them because that's how good of a father I am. But I, it's really funny, I remember one time I was hiding in that storage room, and there's just a thin drywall, you know, wall in between us, and so I heard them come to the top of the steps, and I heard them start to negotiate who was going to be the first to go downstairs. And Sam would say, hey, Eli, why don't you go down there? I'm sure, you know, it's fine, just go on down there. And Eli says, no, Sam, why don't, why don't you go down first? Hey, 
You know who will go down first? Charlie. Hey, Charlie, just run down there. And here's the thing. Once one of them started going down the stairs, the others would follow. Because knowing that somebody's walking ahead of you, knowing that somebody's faced what you're going to face, helps you face it, helps you walk into it. And I still scared them really good, and it was really fun. But the truth is, when we face hard times, if we know that somebody's gone ahead of us, that gives us the strength to go where we need to go and to do what we need to do. One of the greatest motivators of faith for us is remembering the example of those that have run before us and the faithfulness of God's toward, God toward them. At the end of that, he talks about his sufferings. He talks about all of the things. But at the end of it, in verse 11, he says, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. God is faithful. And Paul says, Timothy, you're going to walk into some difficult times, but you've seen my life, you've seen what I'm all about, and you've seen that God is faithful even in difficult times. So Paul wants to help Timothy then in verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, this scripture is interesting because, in all honesty, I talked about the comfort of the church these days. In all honesty, we're not facing what Paul was facing I don't know anybody, well, I don't, I don't know anybody personally that's ever been thrown in jail for their faith. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that, that the world is not against people of faith. I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is we're, Paul is writing this from prison. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to face persecution. People are going to come after you. And we talked about this in prayer group yesterday. Maybe our situation is a little bit different. Maybe we don't have the fear of being thrown into jail for our faith at this point. But, but what Paul says is every Christian, is every follower of Christ is going to endure persecution. That persecution is still there. It still exists. The difficulty that we will face still exists, whether it's the way people look at us or the way people deal with us or, or the, way that, the way that we have to run our race. And and the truth is, and I'm just going to be really honest with you, Christianity is following Christ is a great thing, but it's not just something to add to our resume. It's not just a cherry on top of the Sunday. It's our life, and when we follow Christ, we are going to encounter difficulty. We're going to encounter pain. We're going to encounter people coming against us. It's going to happen. And so Paul says, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. One of Paul's main themes through 2 Timothy is the theme of suffering and persecution. If you, that's a challenge for you this week. Read 2 Timothy, it's not that long, and look at every time that Paul references difficulty or pain or suffering or persecution. It is all over the Scriptures. And, and the reason for that is Paul knows that Timothy, his protege, has, has a timid spirit, and he is all about preparing him for what he's going to face. It, it's not easy to live a holy life in this world. And I've got four kids, and I want my kids to know Jesus, and I want my kids to live for Jesus, 
And I know that that they're going to walk into schools where it's not popular to follow Christ. I know they're going to walk into schools where it's not taught to follow Christ. I know that, that at times they may be excluded from some things or they may be treated poorly or they may be looked at differently. But I want them to know Christ. And so you see the heart of Paul with his protege Timothy passing the baton saying, stick with it. You're going to face hard times, but, but God is good. Verse 14, he says, but as for you, so you're going to face difficulties. Anybody who wants to follow Christ is going to face difficulties and suffering and persecution. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those whom you learned it from. See, what do we do in response of persecution and difficulty? We continue in what we've learned. And I want to talk about this word continue that Paul uses here because this is important. He says continue in what you've learned. The word that's used there, the Greek word is mano. And that word means to abide, to stay, to dwell, or to continue. So here's the thing. I think when we experience difficulties in our lives, in church, and wherever it is, I think when we experience difficulties, one of our first tendencies is to think that I've got to find something different that can help me solve my problems. Maybe we're, we're doing ministry, maybe we're following Christ, and all of a sudden we hit a bump in the road, and our tendency is to think, I've got to solve this. I need some help from somewhere else. And I, I need something that's going to help me through this. But what, what Paul says is when you run into those bumps, when you face persecution and difficulty, what do you do? You stay in what you've learned. You continue in what you've learned. You don't look for something different because you don't need something different. You need the gospel of Christ. You need the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And so the response of persecution and difficulty isn't some new system or new way. The response is to stay in Christ, to stay in the power of God that's at work in us, to stay in it. So continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Listen, I think some of the false teachings that we have going on right now, I don't think our day is that different from, from this writing. Maybe there's not the persecution, but, but listen, there's false teachings there's lots of false teachings. And I think one of them is this comfortable religion, this cherry on top religion. But there's other, there's other false teachings that, that I think that there's more than Scripture, that, that there's stuff outside of just God. There's these other powers at work. And Paul says, continue in what you've learned. Stay in what you've learned. Continue in what you've learned. The answer to persecution and struggles is not to assume that our teaching or what we've done is inadequate. It's to understand that we need more of it. We need more of Christ. And so we ask God to help us. We dwell in Christ. See, the church started at Pentecost, and a lot of time has passed since then, and, and the world has changed in different ways, and now we have technology and all these different things. We have different problems facing us than we're facing in this day, but we have problems and barriers to live our faith. But I want you to understand something, and this is so important. The most important thing for us to run our race and get past the things that are in our way 
is not something new. It's something that's been at work in the church forever, and that's the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost is with us and helps us to run the race that we have to run. And so we need to carry the baton with the help of the Spirit. We need to continue in what we've learned. I, methods are going to change. Little things are going to change. The way churches look may change. The sound of the music may change. The way that we do things may change a little bit. But what cannot change is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not need anything different. We need the Holy Spirit to work through the gospel. I, I was thinking about this. When you run a race... That baton is what you can't drop. Things change over the years. Shoes change. Outfits change. Lots of things. Cosmetic things change. You know what doesn't change? Passing that baton and running the race. And so we, if we ever find ourselves at a place that we feel like we need a new gospel, we've missed it. Continue on and what you've learned. Stay in what you've learned. It's all we need to be who we're called to be. And so what do we continue and what do we stay in? Number one, it says those who you've learned from, the example that was set for you, stay in that. The people that have run before us. Listen, there's a lot of people that think they're really smart these days. And some of them are smart. But there are people throughout history that have followed Christ, that have set an example for us. And if we're finding ourselves outside of what God's done in human history, then we're finding ourselves in trouble. Stay in what you've learned, the example that's been set for you. And the second thing, as he continues on, is in verse 15. He says, and from how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The two things we need to remain in are the example that's been set before, the people that have run the race before us, and the Holy Scriptures that God has given us to guide us in our way. That's the baton that we carry. It says the Scriptures that make you wise for salvation. I'm going to do something I don't do very often, but I want to read from the Nazarene Manual because I love what the Nazarene Church believes about Scripture. Listen to this. This is Article 4 from the Articles of Faith. It says, We believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testament given by divine inspiration. You're going to hear these words again here in a minute as we go back to Paul's words. Given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation, so that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. So what the Nazarene church believes is that the Bible is divinely inspired by God to help us have everything we need to follow Christ and have salvation in Christ. That Scripture is all pointing us to salvation in Christ. There's a lot of different views of that word inerrant, but what the Nazarene church believes is that, the, that Scripture is perfect and it's guiding us to salvation in Christ. And that's what this text says. It says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you stay in God's word, you will know what God needs from you. You will know what God wants from you. You will know what God's doing in your life. If you will stay in God's Word, you will know how to be saved and how to live in salvation. 
He goes on and says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's God-breathed. You saw in that Nazarene uh, manual, it says, We believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. What does that mean? That means, number one, it's God-breathed, that God inspired the people that wrote the Scriptures to write the Scriptures. That when Paul is writing this letter, and obviously Paul's not referring to his own letter at this point, but it's Scripture that when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, that it's God that's inspiring Paul to write it. That's what we believe, that these are written by humans, but those humans are inspired by God to write Scripture that will lead us to salvation and to follow Christ. And so it's divinely inspired in Scripture. And then it says, plenary, that God directed the assemblies, the councils that put Scripture together, that God was through this whole process. And so when we say Scripture is inerrant and divinely inspired, what we mean is from the time it was in the minds of the writers to the time that it was assembled to now, God has been directing God has been breathing His Spirit into this process so that we would have the Holy Scriptures that can make us wise for salvation. And so it's divinely inspired. I I was reading something this week, and I saw a quote that I love. It's from John Piper. He says, you will never exhaust the Bible. You will never exhaust the Bible. Uh, Greg, I'm willing to bet that you had read that Scripture many, many, many times before that moment. I'm willing to bet that all of you have read scriptures over and over and over again, but if you would read it today, and if you would put yourself before God's Spirit, God can can work in it. You will never get to the point that you do not need scripture, that you do not need to read the Bible. Why? Because it's God-breathed. Think about this word breathed in scripture. When God breathes into something, what happens to it? Life is given to it. And so when it says it's God-breathed, God has breathed life into the Scripture. The Spirit is working in Scripture. So that when we're reading Scripture, we're not just reading words that were written a long time ago. We're reading the life of God that's been breathed into these Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit is working through it to help us run our race. God is continuing to speak through the Holy Spirit through Scripture. This is another quote I read this week that I really liked. It's from Dan Boone. He's the president of Treveca, where I went to school, and he says this in one of his books. When we position ourselves before Scripture, we are not in the driver's seat. We are not meant to master, but to be mastered by God. We are not meant to conquer, but to be conquered by the word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. We are not meant to scan, but to become aware that we are being scanned by the word that penetrates even to the gap between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. The first move, he's talking about preaching, the first move of preaching is to place ourselves under the word of God and allow God to do with us as God pleases. Do you hear what he's saying there? See, sometimes in Western culture, I don't know if this is true around the world, but in Western culture, we feel like we have to have mastery over everything, even with Scripture. I'm going to learn exactly what it says. I'm going to learn exactly what it means. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong because I know it, because I've read it, because I've translated it. And that's not what it's about. It's not about me conquering God's Word. It's about me placing myself under it 
and allowing God's Spirit to speak to me so that I can be who God's called me to be. I love this quote. And, and so, the power of the Spirit at work through the example that's been set for us and the Holy Scriptures that we have, we have something that is so valuable. We have God's Word. We have the story of God and God's people that's, that's continuing to unfold today, but we have God's Word that we can go to any time when we're tired halfway through a run, when we're struggling with a relationship, when we're facing something, when we're facing persecution or pain, when it seems like what we're doing isn't working. We have God's Word to turn to, and Paul says, continue in it. And so today as we take the baton and as we run... We have a rich history of those that have gone for, before us. We have God's divinely inspired, God-breathed word to guide us. And we have the Spirit at work in us. Man, I can't help but think, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us, but I, I can't help but think if we just today opened our hearts to God, if we just put ourselves under the Spirit of God, if we just humbled ourselves and said, God, I'm nothing, but you are everything. Would you open my eyes? Would you open my heart? Would you pour your Spirit into me? Would you show me where you want me to go and what you want me to do? Would you give me the power to face what I have to face? I, man, what would God do? God would do amazing things. We see in Acts that when the Spirit comes, the church begins and people are healed and people are saved and the world is changed. And I believe God wants to do that today, here. The last verse says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, that we would be equipped for everything that we are called to do through Jesus. And so today... As we close this service, the band's going to come up. And I don't think there's any way to respond to this text today other than just to humble ourselves. On this Pentecost Sunday, a day that marks the Spirit being poured into the church, and there have been many legs of the race from then until now, but right now, you know what we need more than anything else? We need the Spirit of God to be poured out on us. We need God to show us through Scripture and through the example that's been set before us how we run our race. And we need to humble ourselves and feel the Spirit at work in us. So I want you to stand up. And I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we're going to sing a song that we've been singing over the last few weeks, Build My Life. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to just open your heart. I want you to open your heart and I want you to ask God to speak and to move. I want, to ask, I want you to ask God to send the Spirit to help us walk and run the race that we are called to run. Father, I love you. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you for all those that have gone before us. I thank you that you've given us your word. I thank you that your word is active and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you that your Spirit is at work. And I thank you that this whole running the race is not dependent on me, but that I have you and your spirit and your word and the example of so many others. So Lord, I pray today, right now, that each and every one of us 
will just worship you, will open our hearts to you. I pray that each and every one of us would seek your presence today. And I pray that you would make us who you want us to be so that we can carry that baton and pass it and get to that finish line, Lord. We love you. I thank you that you're with us today, and I pray that you would move among us now in Jesus' name. Amen.